0: i
1: everyone to episode three of the unnamed liberty podcast i am your host kirk sullivan i'm sorry i missed last week there was just some stuff going on and i uh, was really really focusing on this episode uh trying to make sense of some of the things that i wanted to talk about and really put it in a way that i think uh people will understand and really try to like explain some connections and just, you know, plan out the show a little bit better so that I wasn't just kind of throwing something out there and seeing what sticks. I did actually record like 30 minutes in last week on uh, Wednesday and it just kind of, it was all garbled. I really didn't sound like I had any cohesive strategy for the episode It didn't really tie in in the way that I thought I could make it without uh, really, really diving in. So I'm going to try my best to not do that again. And I I think I have I think I have a bit of a roadmap for the way the show is. So we'll get into it. But first, I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, I'm really, really, really excited for this episode, not because uh, we're going to talk about good things. Just because we're going to talk about bad things and it's something that I'm kind of passionate about and kind of uh, terrifies me a little bit. Also, uh, I did buy a new set of earphones uh, just like two days ago. And uh, before I was using a lapel mic and I'm using the mic on these headphones just to see, you know, what happens for this episode. If it ends up being not really all that great. Eh, OK, I'll live. I'll just switch back, but I figure for this one, when I kind of just want to be free flowing and uh, don't really want to use the lapel mic, I'll try it and see what's up. First, before we get into everything, please make sure that you follow the podcast so you guys don't miss an upload. Yes, I, I'm going to try to keep to like once a week. You know, I, I, I want to do my best for that. I can't guarantee it clearly, but that's what I want to be doing. All right, with that out of the way. Let's talk about the FBI. So uh, I'm on slash libertarian, uh, the Reddit, the subreddit for the libertarian. Well, it's not really for the libertarian party. It's just kind of a subreddit for libertarianism of uh, all walks of life, which may be a good or a bad thing depending on how you look at it. But I came across this article on Bloomberg talking about warrantless searches of. 3.4 3.4 million Americans data. And this is something that the in 2014 Edward Snowden kind of tore apart the NSA and exposed to the world the level of spying, the the program that the NSA was using to mass collect Americans data without warrants, without a trial, without due process with n- Not even, like, convicted or even suspected of a crime. Just mass collection of our data, of our emails, of pictures. I mean, it it was absurd. If you saw the documents, if you just read them, uh, there was a lot of terrifying stuff in it. A backdoor installed on Google that the NSA could kind of just walk in and out of digitally and just steal data that way. Uh, they found a way to, like, turn on our webcams and just take pictures. And while I'm, you know, recording, probably doing that right now, just going to wave to my camera that's off and, you know, hope that it's actually off. But that was some of the kinds of things we saw coming out of the NSA. And uh, thanks to Snowden for, you know, leaking that. Or else we we probably never would have known any of that. It's, uh, It's a little bit scary. So this is something that I'm really, really interested in, in a disturbing kind of way. So this is the article on Bloomberg, the politics section. FBI searched data of millions of Americans without warrants. The surge came as the Bureau sought to curb a wave of hacking attacks. The ACLU is calling it an invasion of privacy on an enormous scale. And I gotta admit, uh, there's not much that I agree with the ACLU on these days. I think it's kind of been hijacked, but yeah, that's that's pretty egregious, in my opinion. So Chris Strom writes the article, like I said, this is a couple of weeks ago now, and I, was, I really found this intriguing, because I don't know if anybody remembers, but about a month, month and a half or so ago, this was before I started the podcast, so... I'm not going to revisit it, but there's there's an article. I think it was either in the ADE, either the Associated Press or the New York Times, that the CIA has its own bulk data system in basically the same way that the NSA did. I don't know if it was exactly correlative, but you get the idea. On to the article, I'm going to kind of read it uh, a little bit and then kind of just talk about what my thoughts are uh, after I go uh, through it. So we'll start here. The FBI searched emails, texts, and other electronic communications of as many as 3.4 million U.S. residents without a warrant over a year, the nation's top spy chief said in a report. The queries were made between December of 2020 and November 2021 by the Federal Bureau of Investigation Personnel as they looked for signs of threats and terrorists within electronic data legally collected under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act according to an annual transparency report issued Friday by the office of the director of national intelligence. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole names. Uh, The foreign intelligence surveillance act is FISA from here on out. And the office of the director of national intelligence is the office of the DNI. So if you DNI, it's a, um, if I say FISA, that's what those mean. Anyway, continuing, the surge came as the FBI made a push to stop hacking attacks, but the ACLU called it an invasion of privacy on an enormous scale. Read that. Top. Today's report sheds light on the extent of these unconstitutional backdoor searches and underscores the urgency of the problem. Ashley Gorsky, senior staff attorney with the ACLU National Security Project, said in a statement: "It's past time for Congress to step up in protecting Americans' Fourth Amendment rights. The authority the, that the FBI used in this case was under Section 702 of FISA which is set to expire at the end of next year unless it's renewed by Congress. The report doesn't say the activity was illegal or even wrong, but the revelation could renew congressional and public debates over the power U.S. agencies have to collect and review intelligence information, especially data concerning individuals. In comparison, fewer than 1.3 million queries involving Americans' data were conducted between December 2019 and November of 2020. According to the same 38 page report, the DNI also provided updated statistics, excuse me, statistics, reflecting a sharp increase in the number of times government officials sought to learn the identity of an American, a practice commonly referred to as unmasking. That became a talking point for talking point for former President Donald Trump and his conservative allies and me. The report sought to provide a justification for the increase in FBI queries during the last year. And I'm going to kind of skip a little bit because there's one thing that I really want to read before I kind of dive into this, which is uh, a little bit down. Matter of fact, exactly one paragraph down. It says the exact number of U.S. residents who potentially had their information renewed or reviewed isn't known because there's no precise way to measure the data according to the report. Okay, I realize that's a lot, but it kind of lays out the terrifying aspect of the power that the federal government has. So it uses the FISA Act, and I'll get into breaking that down a little bit and uh, explaining what it does, what authority it has, how it's able to use the data, et cetera, et cetera. But just working backwards to forwards, the exact number of U.S. residents who had their information reviewed, isn't known. Think about that. This government is so big that they can look through your data and we don't know how much they did it. That is what we're referring to here. That's what we're talking about here. It said at the top 3.4 million. That's what the report says. That's an estimate. We don't know. That's crazy to me. The government just has all this data. These phone records, emails, texts of suspicion of hacking. Just suspicion. You may have been a terrorist caught up in this hacking scheme. So now we're going to steal your data from you, even though you're not. Even though you may or may not be indicted. Uh, what's the term? Indicted in the crime or not indicted. You you may or may not be a part of the crime, but we're going to take your data anyway. You know, just that. Oh, man, where do we even begin with this? So I guess the best thing to do for this is what is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act? And uh, I have it up here from the the Bureau of Justice website. Any of you can find this. It's under statutes. And it essentially it just gave the it gave the intelligence community uh, powers to surveil foreign threats, basically. and it, it provided a framework for electronic and physical surveillance and collection of the information. So if you were a, Russian spy in 1978, when I think 1978, yeah, 1978, when FISA is first enacted, you can be legally surveilled. And if you were, uh, if you as an American citizen were going to get caught up, you would have to block out the name. So if you're on a phone call, let's say, and it's wiretapped, and it's, you know, scooped up by the intelligence community, A transcript of that call would, of course, be printed and held as a record. But if it came up that an American citizen was part of the call, just by our own laws, at their minimum, the name would have to be masked. And we heard a lot of this about uh, General Mike Flynn and Russiagate. And I'll get into that later because I think that kind of plays a big part of this. And I don't know if a lot of people make the connection, but we're going to I'm going to make that connection for you later. Uh, I just think it's extremely important to do so. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about the general provisions. and We're going to talk about chapter one and what it means to establish electronic surveillance. And that means it's kind of a newer thing, but it means emails, phone calls, texts, essentially what the article was talking about. Anything that's digital, anything electronic, that kind of thing. I'm going to read this, uh, this readout on what FISA does from the, B, from the BGA website, the Bureau of Justice Administration. So chapter one of FISA establishes procedures for the conduct of foreign intelligence surveillance and created the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. The Department of Justice must apply to the FISC Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to obtain a warrant authorizing electronic surveillance of foreign agents. For targets that are U.S. persons, Pfizer requires heightened requirements. Unlike domestic criminal surveillance warrants under Title III, if you've ever heard of Title III wiretap, that's what this is referring to, and the Wiretap Act, literally, uh, agents need to demonstrate probable cause to believe that the target of the surveillance is a foreign power or that a significant, or excuse me, uh, agent of a foreign power, that a significant purpose of the surveillance is to obtain foreign intelligence information. And that appropriate minimization procedures are in place. The minimization procedures are unmasking, basically. Agents do not need to demonstrate that commission of a crime is imminent. For purposes of FISA, agents of foreign powers include agents of foreign political organizations and groups engaged in international terrorism, as well as agents of foreign nations. So if you're the national security advisor, let's say, whatever that is. In Russia, whatever the, the the equivalent of what our national security advisor would be in Russia, that would be a foreign agent. Uh, foreign groups like NGOs, maybe in Israel or something, that would be uh, potentially able to be surveilled. I don't know if we surveil Israel. I have no idea. So that's what FISA does. Now, I'm going to read this little bit here because I think it comes up later, which is that... There is part of this section uh, 1806 that calls for record destruction where that the government has accidentally intercepted communications or, you know, texts, phone calls, whatever that under circumstances, circumstances rather in which a person has a reasonable expectation of privacy and a warrant would be required for law enforcement purposes. And if both the sender and all intended recipients are located within the United States, the government is required to destroy those records unless the Attorney General determines the contents include a threat of death or serious bodily harm to any person. Now, reading that, I don't want... It doesn't say in... As far as I could tell, it doesn't say in the report that... Mainly because we don't know that all of these communications took place With people that were in the United States. However. We should find that out. (laughs) Because if they were. And they weren't destroyed. And there was not a threat. Of death or bodily harm. Then these people violated the law. I kind of think they did anyway. I'm really big on personal liberty. And violating. This version of the right to privacy. Against. uh, Against the fourth amendment. Protection of search and seizure. I think it's already egregious. I think it's a moral total sin, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's I almost don't even know how they get the gall. Like these people just get to do this and it may or may not be against the law. We don't know. We're just going to do it anyway. Under FISA, under Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court order. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, actually, just a a little bit. uh, And and like, what is required? Like, what is the review process, so to speak? Or, you know what, actually, let's not do that yet. Let's do the querying procedures, because we did see in the very beginning that it was queried using FISA. Where do they get this, right? And on the the Lawfare blog, which is uh, in cooperation with the Brookings Institute, a a big, more left-leaning think tank, actually. And matter of fact, one of the first related articles that I see here is the merits of supporting 702 reauthorization, despite worries about Trump and the rule of law. Don't worry, we're these people. Anyway, so let's talk about Section 702. Section 702 was uh, reauthorized and amended in 2018. This is the most recent one that I could find. And uh, it was voted 65 to 34 to extend the authorities for six years. And that it kind of rolled some stuff back, but not really enough for me. So let's talk about this. So the querying procedures essentially under Section 702 the Attorney General and the DNI are supposed to have procedures that are like consistent with requirements of the Fourth Amendment. Now, obviously, foreign governments are not subject to our Fourth Amendment. But considering we're talking about Americans that were scooped up in this, we have that part earlier where I've said, if it's strictly in here, then they have to be destroyed unless there's like a serious threat. Or, if it's, you know, caught up, they have to be masked, at bare minimum. If they were or not, again, uh, I didn't see if they were or weren't, but let's assume just purely that it was, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, for the querying procedures. These procedures will govern searches designed to retrieve communications of or concerning U.S. persons they are subject to review by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court though the specifics oh my god i can't talk though the specifics are for the most part left to be determined the adopted procedures must include a record keeping of each us person query term used and what that means is the unmasking part they'll they won't literally like put a uh, when they redact something they cover it in like a black block that's not really what it means what it usually means is that they will put us person 1 uh, over who the person's name is or over revealing information. We'll say U.S. Persons 1 or Citizen 1 or whatever. In addition, the FBI must procure a court order to assess the contents of communication responsive to U.S. person search terms in circumstances where the query was not designed to find and extract foreign intelligence information. So let, let's think about that really quick. We're talking about a hacking operation. Right. If we go back uh, to this Bloomberg article, I'm going to pull it back up again because I'm kind of you know, jumping back and forth. We're talking about hacking attacks. It doesn't say what, at least as far as I could find, uh, if anybody finds something different, please feel free to uh, tweet it to me at uh, K2DudeMan, the Liberty Enthusiast, uh, hope, you know, and you know, follow me in the process. But I couldn't find whether it was or not. So this whole thing is just kind of murky. This FISA section 702 gives querying procedures that the FBI can enter a query into this data. But why? Like, what can they do with it? What can they what can they use it for? Do they have to disclose it, etc.? And that kind of comes into the next part. Section 102 use and disclosure provisions. And I think this is kind of where it gets really dicey. And I'm going to try my best to explain it. Uh, of course, again, you can tweet me and ask, and I'll tell you what I think about it. Section 102A restricts the use of U.S. person information obtained under 702 as evidence in a criminal proceeding. Such information may only be used uh, in the context of criminal proceeding if the FBI obtained a court order or the criminal proceeding involved one of an enumerated list of conduct, including death, kidnapping, serious bodily injury, crimes against minors, and some other stuff. I won't uh, go through it all. In essence, this section codifies Justice Department guidelines concerning the use of collected information in criminal proceedings. A determination that the proceeding qualifies as related to or involving one of these serious crimes is not judicially reviewable. Which, by the way, is a little bit weird. You have this data collected that there's a serious crime, but it's not judicially reviewable. All right, whatever. Section 102b amends the mandatory reporting requirements to require the release of information. On the breakdown of U.S. and U.S. not or non-U.S. person targets of electronic surveillance, it requires the disclosure of the number of instances in which the FBI opened an investigation based wholly or in part of an acquisition of information under 702. So that basically just says that the DNI report ha- has to exist. Yeah, and then there's some other stuff about congressional review and uh, minimization procedures. Uh, something called Section 705 more stuff you can uh, find this article if you use the Wayback Machine or archive.is or whatever it's called the FISA Amendments Reauthorization Act of 2017 so what do we come away with this well i don't know there's a lot of conven there's a lot of convening narratives here so they get to under 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act collect electronic data we don't know if they masked it or not. We don't know if it was used in a criminal proceeding. It just seems like bulk data collection. And I don't remember the name of the court case. off a matter of fact, maybe I'll type it and try to figure it out while I'm talking. But that court case that decided that it was completely illegal for bulk data collection, uh, I think it was against the NSA. Uh, And Snowden was uh, really heavily talking about it, actually. Let's see if I can find it. court decision, bulk data collection, legal, maybe? But yeah, we we, we really don't know. And I I don't even think it matters. We really have to ask ourselves this question. Kind of like it said at the very end, which is it may not be illegal, but do we want government to have this power? Do we really want government to just have all this information? Now, let me give a example of where I think this really, really came into question, which is with uh, General Mike Flynn, who was caught up in the Russiagate fucking total lie. Uh, You can argue with me all day and night about it, but it was all based on fuck on complete and total lies. And our national security advisor got caught up in it. Somebody that high up just got targeted and taken out. So the FBI interviews Flynn, Mike Flynn, based on a phone call that he had with the Russian ambassador to the United States about sanctions, at least what the FBI said was that it was about sanctions. Now, here's the problem. He was never asked about it. And here's the other thing. How did they get the call? Because they were spying. They had a wiretap, probably, on the phone of the Russian ambassador, where he's Russian, we spy on on them they spy on us we know it they know it it's all kosher well at least as far as this statist paradigm of you know spying on people is concerned it's all right but you know whatever that's the statist's is going to state am i right so the fbi gets this call on fisa authority the the foreign intelligence surveillance act they're they're surveilling the, uh, the Russian ambassador, whose name I unfortunately can't remember, but Lynn gets caught up in it and w- there's a whole lot of things that go on into this and the wonkery of it. But th- we know that that call happened and it was under FISA authority. They had the transcript of the call. There's some other wonkery with it and that we really don't know if they had the authority to it, kind of in this same realm. There's some murkiness around it, but. They have this transcript and the FBI interviews General Flynn and they charge him with lying to the FBI about sanctions against Russian officials that at the time were like running Russian troll farms and they were kicked out of the country. They were made persona non grata and and made and, uh, in a separate executive order under the Obama administration, uh, other than being persona non grata they were there were also sanctions against these oligarchs that were funding this troll farm so there were separate things and he was caught up in this whole targeting thing as far as I'm concerned trying to get him out and we maybe I'll do an episode on that later what I think the motivations were but I think he was targeted I think and then he was being surveilled by the Obama administration you can call this conspiracy we know all this happened. It's come out in foreign intelligence communities in the Senate and in the House that this was happening, that it was egregious, and that Mike Flynn was completely and totally set up. Mike Flynn, the incoming national security advisor for the Trump administration and an incoming administration to the presidency of the United States, the executive branch, was spied on and it was used against him to just destroy his life. I mean, he was set up with all of this debt for uh, fighting this court case, uh, you know, against the government that was trying to say that he lied to the FBI, and and essentially implying that he was guilty of treason against the United States. That's where we were. And that is something that can happen. We've seen, uh, you know, data collected for January 6th protesters, and you may disagree with all of this. You may disagree with you know, the January 6th protesters or rioters, whatever you want to call them. You may disagree with General Mike Flynn. You may disagree with all of this. But think about this just just for one second. Throw out all that or at least keep it under for just a second. The government has all of our data. And if you don't like something about them and you use your platform to discuss it, they can go after you with it. Donald Mike Flynn didn't commit a crime. He was talking to a Russian, in the context of his job. He was the incoming National Security Advisor. You think John Kerry, as Secretary of State, doesn't talk to Russians? You think our current National Secretary or National Security Advisor? Uh, I think it's Ant- it's Anthony Blinken, or is he head of the State Department? I can't remember. Whoever it is, doesn't matter you think he doesn't talk to foreign nationals? Of course he does. He's a national security advisor. He didn't commit a crime. But he was surveilled. His name was used in an investigation where the government framed him. And it was used under FISA authority. Now, maybe you and I don't have anything to hide. Maybe you fall under that, Well, oh, I don't have anything to hide. Okay, fine. But maybe your fellow citizens do. Maybe something comes along in the future. And we say, we don't like this government program. We think it's evil. We think what you're doing is evil. And we're going to stop this. And the government says, oh, look at this. I have your data. You're conspiring against the United States government. Look at all of this data that we have. You've not committed a crime. You've exercised freedom of speech to say that the government is doing all of these terrible things. And as long as you're not calling to violence actively, you're exercising your freedom of speech. And then they can go after you with this data that they've collected on you. It's not a theoretical. It happened to Mike Flynn. He was not serving yet. He was a free United States. Well, not as free as some of us would like, but in the context of free U.S. citizen, Mike Flynn was that. He was not a public servant yet. The Trump administration hadn't started yet. We were still in late December of uh, 2015, or 2016, rather. So before we get all of these drone-like NPC responses of, oh, well, I don't have anything to hide. I don't care if government has my information. Okay, fine. But it will be used against someone someday, unlawfully. And it's probably happening right now. And we don't even know about it and that's the danger with this that's the connection with this it's not just that it's kind of scary that they have all this information that's bad enough it's the fact that if you're a trucker in Canada and no US person can says that with due process without due process they had their things stolen from them by the government and then not one US official says Hey, Canada, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called natural rights, but free people are supposed to have due process of law, and you're not supposed to remove people of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law in a free country. Now, if you want to admit full throat that you're not a free country, okay, fine. But just know that that is what you're advocating for. And the fact that it's like, this foreign concept to people. Governments won't go tyrannical. We just went through it. They didn't produce any evidence. I'm not saying that the Canadian intelligence community like spied on American or on Canadian citizens and that's how they knew. But I'm pretty sure they did. They didn't prove or disprove that these people, but I'm sure they had, you know, these are all the general sense anti-government people and we're just going to kind of go after them. And squash this whole trucker thing. And that's why I thought this was such a big story and really wanted to cover it. Uh, I think I've kind of covered everything that I want to. But uh, recap, American citizens surveilled under FISA authority, which gives the government electronic surveillance powers over foreign officials. And if Americans are caught up in it, there's supposed to be minimization procedures and things to stop our data. From being used against us. That's the general spirit of it. That's what happened here. I really hope somebody takes up this issue in Congressman. And, uh, because, goddamn, this is something, uh, it really needs to be confronted. Like, it, it's a serious problem. Oh Okay. Enough with all that, uh, I have another topic that I want to talk about, which is the war in Ukraine. The uh, biggest, most consequential thing against human freedom right now, any war, uh, Yemen, Somalia, or Middle East terror wars, war is and always is the ultimate bludgeoner of human freedom. So it it is an important thing to talk about. Uh, As I'm recording this, which is Thursday, I... Two days ago, or maybe yesterday, the U.S. House voted uh, massively in favor of sending $40 billion to Ukraine. Now, there's a lot of things in it, but essentially it's humanitarian aid, it's arms deals, and money that we are just kind of shoveling into Ukraine by the billions to just... Go into Ukraine just for just because. And it today went to the Senate and Rand Paul, lovely, lovely hero of human freedom these days in the Senate, essentially blocked it from happening. And what uh, what he did was he essentially tried to attach this amendment to it. That the aid could only go through if the Senate voted on this provision, which would essentially make it so that there has to be some kind of oversight as to where this 40 billion dollars is going, so that it's not just shoveled into Ukrainian, Ukrainian oligarchs you know pockets. We, we have all this about Russian oligarchs, but you know, the military-industrial complex is going to get, I'm sure, tons of kickbacks off of this. I'm sure their stock is you know through the fucking roof because it isn't it a little bit interesting that the war in Afghanistan ends, that Biden does what I think has been the best thing of his presidency and pulled all all troops out of Ukraine now was it bungled absolutely left behind billions of dollars twice the amounts worth of equipment that we or actually, it may not have been 86 billion. It may have been like 86 million. But in the 80s, either million or billion worth of equipment to the Taliban to rule over Afghanistan. But U.S. involvement, just murder, uh, constant murder of hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians is done now. And uh, that is one thing I think Biden should be given credit for, uh, for pulling us out. The way he did it, the way it was handled, it, it's a problem. Uh, for for sure, there was de- There was deaths of our servicemen and women, or servicemen, I don't think a woman was killed. And it was bungled for sure, but there had already been men dead over this war, and the fact that we won't get any more is great. But, isn't it interesting how as soon as that ends, look at this, there's war in Ukraine now. Let's capitalize on this. And we get billion dollar arms packages. That there's just all of a sudden billion dollar arms packages to Ukraine. And that's just, you know, what happens. That's, that's all. We just, we send, we shovel billions of dollars to another country. And I want to play a little bit of Rand Paul here. And uh, just what his defense of kind of blocking this was, because uh, I, I, I think it's pretty interesting if I, can, uh, if I can get the video to play here.
0: My oath of office is to the U.S. Constitution, not to any foreign nation. And no matter how sympathetic the cause, my oath of office is to the national security of the United States of America. We cannot save Ukraine by dooming the U.S. economy. In March, inflation at a 40 year high. Gasoline alone is up 48%, and energy prices are up 32%. And
1: uh, then he just kind of goes into some other stuff that's happening in the economy. And oh, wow, uh, don't stop. Okay. Uh, well, he just kind of goes into some other stuff uh, about inflation hitting people and uh, all the costs associated with having a bad economy like we have, a recession probably around the corner. And the, and Rand Paul has been one of the best in Congress about government spending. I mean, he came out of the Tea Party, and the Tea Party's big thing was government spending. We're spending way, way, way too much money maintaining this empire, uh, and we had just get you know just given out billions of dollars in banker bailouts with TARP and that kind of thing. So he comes out with this government spending thing that the Tea Party is, uh, it's like a sexy issue. We've run up trillions of dollars of debt, and it's completely unsustainable. And not only did the Tea Party fail, I mean, it massively failed. We have way more debt than we've ever had before. It's not even close. We're in 30 trillions. And, you know, the unfunded liabilities, like I say, make that look like, you know, peanuts. It's nothing in comparison. And he's been really, really good on this issue. And we 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 are spending too goddamn much. And when there's real problems here, when we're looking at probably another quarter of negative economic growth, of negative GDP, when we have inflation that they say is at 8% and I don't buy for a goddamn second, housing and energy is not included in that calculation it's almost certainly higher probably like 20% maybe 15 if not higher so i don't buy it anybody who's gone on who's you know gone and filled up their tank or gone to the grocery store can look at it and see that that's just nonsense and we get these these blood soaked monsters in congress that just vote mm-hmm. just just give our money away that's been fucking stolen from us by income taxes, by payroll taxes, by Medicare and Social, by FICA taxes, just you know taken from us, mm-hmm. withheld out of our paycheck, so we never see it. And then what happens? It's given away. There's all of these problems, uh, board, the border, just you know, the war on drugs, just so many things, and and these these people in Congress say nope. You know what we're going to do? We're going to steal 40 billion of your dollars and your devalued dollars and give it to a country 5,000 miles away so that the military industrial complex and the think tanks that say we need this war can get rich off of you. And then the Ukrainian oligarchs can just pocket it because we don't know where the fuck this is going. We have no idea. And all Rand Paul does is say, hey, maybe let's have some oversight and make sure that this money actually goes. To what it's supposed to, and Congress loses it, and they call it blocking it. I call it fucking fiscal responsibility. Like, at bare minimum, at absolute bare minimum, if we're going to be giving this money away, taken from people who do not support the war like me, who do not think we should be involved in this, at bare minimum, I want some goddamn oversight to make sure that this money is being sent properly and the corporate press loses it the hill today called it blocking all over twitter fucking deranged people that i'm convinced want war with russia because they provide me no alternative are saying that rand paul is an obstructionist that he's blocking freedom uh, of humanity and that he's a pro putin and that putin's in love with rand paul right now and to basically, the same thing that they put Trump through because they don't agree. They call him, you know, a, a, a pro Putin sympathizer. People like me who don't want to see this war continue but don't want to give $40 billion to it. We're called pro Putin sympathizers. How about we just call them blood soaked monsters? How about that? Why is it always. That the moral impotence is on us to prove our moral superiority. For these people that supported endless wars in the Middle East. And somebody who's standing up against wasteful government spending that is causing all of our problems. Giant government that's spending way out of control. I mean, 80 bi- or $40 billion is a rounding error. On bills nowadays, I mean, the Cares Act was 2.3 trillion, uh, 80 80 billion may just be a, a, a like another small amendment to that. Not even a rounding error. That's where we are. And Rand Paul, I, I gotta say, man, I, I know he may not be like totally uh, on board with the libertarianism thing, but god damn it, if he isn't one of the best people in that House of Congress right now I, man if Rand Paul runs for president I uh, he'll have my support for sure if he runs on this war if he runs on a- negotiating for a peaceful end to this war in Ukraine if by the time uh, it comes to the primary or if by the time it comes to the election season that that's what he runs on if he runs on. The Fauci and the just absolutely egregious crimes of the COVID lockdown regime. If he and if he runs on on all of the stuff that he's been good on on government spending on uh, corrupt bureaucracy, if he runs on all that, man, uh, he'll he'll have a movement in this country. Maybe it won't be like my full brand of libertarianism that like I would really want to see, but. Nobody else is doing it better. Maybe Thomas Massey right up there. But that's it, man. So that's where we are. Rand Paul's an obstructionist, apparently. All right. And then the last bit kind of ties in uh, a little. Maybe I should have done this before the war in Ukraine thing. But uh, we have this Ministry of Truth, as it's being dubbed uh, straight out of 1984. The Disinformation Governance Board and uh i know this is kind of old news now because you know the the news cycle moves just so incredibly fast but uh, uh again you know rand paul absolutely killing it uh play another bit of rand paul talking about the disinformation governance board i probably should i uh, actually probably before i play this i probably should set up uh it, it's some kind of hearing uh involving alejandro mayorkas the uh the head of DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, is where this dif- disinformation governance board is under. Uh, it's under you know DHS, not the Secretary of State or whatever. It's under very specifically under the Department of Homeland Security. But uh, it, it's in a hearing uh, with a bunch of senators and uh, Alejandro Mayorkas is being uh, grilled by Rand Paul. And uh, that's the setup of this. And I just think Rand is. Uh, fantastic
0: here. Rails? Do we have Do we have. Here's the problem. Sure. We can't, we can't even, even agree. We can't, we can't even mean. agree what disinformation is. You well, can't even agree that it was disinformation that the Russians fed information to the steel dossier. If you can't agree to that, how are we ever going to come go to an agreement on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? Senator, I have two points, if I may uh, finish. Um, uh, number one, that what this office, with, I'm sorry, what this working group does is it's not an office. What this working group does is ensure that there are guardrails, definitions, standards to make sure that the free speech rights, the civil rights, civil liberties, and privacy rights of individuals. So do you, think, do you think COVID? One, d- do, you think COVID two, do you think COVID disinfo- Do you think COVID disinformation threatens our national security? And number two, if I may, Senator. And number two is it your proposition that when the cartels spread disinformation with respect to our immigration policies to try to lure vulnerable migrants to our border illegally? I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want you to guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speak. You think we can't determine... You know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with the Steele dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. So I do have a question, and here's the question. So the Russians, maybe the Russians, maybe some cartels. What about COVID disinformation? Is that in your bailiwick for your your disinformation governance board? Senator, you would have to give me the details help guys here.
1: Uh, stop it, ads Alright. Is that not just the greatest... Is that not just the greatest thing ever? Uh, hearing somebody like Rand Paul just take it to a, a fucking a hack, a partisan hack, an establishment guy, Alejandro Mayorkas, just... Uh it's everything i dream of and more. And by the way, Rand Paul is totally right. The biggest the biggest purveyor of disinformation in the world is the United States government. He's 100% correct. I mean, the Iran contra is a great one. He, uh, weapons of mass destruction, they launched a war on terror and it was a lie. It was a complete and utter lie. The lie that we were going to arm Syrian rebels and that they were going to help us overthrow Assad. And instead, they just march into Iran. Yeah, or uh, rather into Syria. Yeah, or then, yeah, not Assad. Anyway, what? Arming the Syrian rebels. Total, absolute lie. Absolute lie. That Gaddafi was about to go genocidal. There There was a British Parliament investigation into that. There was no evidence or at all that Gaddafi was about to go genocidal, uh, that we need to start a war in Yemen to placate the Saudis, uh, according to what Obama said. That's not a lie, or that is a lie, rather. We don't have to placate anybody. Uh, th- that, lock- that the lockdown regime was needed uh, 14 days to slow the spread. Lie after lie after lie after lie. After lie. And to think that the government that the Department of Homeland Security, which has a stockpile of ammunition and its own SWAT team, basically, is going to be the head of it. The, and the fact that Alejandro Mayorkas is giving these just these nonsense answers. There, there is some other ones uh, where he's talking to like Chuck Grassley and some of the other senators there, and he something like. It's just an office. There's going to be no working power. Really, you think it's going to be under the Department of Homeland Security with its own like where, where its own SWAT team would be like the entire army of North Africa and probably a lot of Central Africa too. Like you're telling me that they're going to have no regulatory power, that they're going to have no enforcement power, nothing. That it's just going to be there. And that it's going to be advisory? Yeah. Remind me again that the FDA is just advisory. That the CDC is just advisory. Don't give me this bullshit. I mean, they they think you're dumb, man. They think you are so dumb that that we don't or won't see through this obvious authoritarian play to control speech. That's what this is. And it's rightly dubbed the Ministry of Truth. And uh, again, I realize this is kind of like a kind of come off as a Ron Paul or, or rather a Rand Paul fanboy episode. But God damn it, man, if Rand Paul isn't the best senator in Congress. All right. And I think that's going to be the episode for today. A big episode today. Uh, I was hoping to go a little bit longer, but I'm kind of tapped out and uh, I got to drive home, got to get some food, you know, doing that kind of stuff. but. Guys, really appreciate you tuning into the show. Go ahead and share this episode around if you'd be ever so kind. Really, really, really am enjoying making leaves and uh, just kind of talking about libertarianism, talking about anti-establishment stuff, all kinds of fun. Regardless of that, uh, just be kind, man. Just be kind to people. Take care of your own self and your own community. Uh, there's going to be some really bad economic times ahead. Uh, we've already had really heavy inflation. This recession that is, I think, inevitable, that there's, there's going to be some kind of housing or uh, commercial real estate crash in the very near future. Just, you know, take care of yourself and do what you can. I, I know it's going to be hard, but uh, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Anyway, that's the end from me, the Liberty Enthusiast. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.